So right now we're continuing our study of Genesis uh, in the life of Abraham, and we're in Genesis 21. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm probably not going to talk about everything that's in this passage, but um, let's read together. This is God's word to you because he loves you. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which Abraham had uh, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom Sarah bore to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was 8 days old as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him and Sarah said, "God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me." And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes, When she went and sat down opposite him in a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and and the two men made covenant. Abraham set seven you uh, lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven you lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven you lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I have dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol and the commander of his army rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk 
tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you uh, that such a word from such a distant uh, culture can speak uh, so pointedly to our lives and make so much sense of our lives. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and take your perfect word and through uh, your servant, an imperfect sinner, you would communicate to your people. And we pray that you would set our hope on Jesus, who is our Savior. And so work in us faith by your grace, we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, this morning we're going to be talking about the Bible in some ways says that there's two ways that you can live. There's the way of the flesh and uh, there's the way of grace. And you know, the Bible's always kind of setting before the reader, whoever's reading the Bible or is God's people, uh, you know, there's two ways. You know, in Deuteronomy, uh, uh, Moses says, I set before you today life and good, death and evil. Choose life. Right there's these two paths. That's what uh, that's what Jesus says too. He says there's the you know the broad gate that uh, leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life. You know take the take the narrow path. There's these two ways that you can live uh, according to the flesh or according to grace. And uh, actually, just this week, Shannon and I watched a, a really a great movie. I don't know if you would like it, but I, depending on what kind of movies you like, it's called The Tree of Life. It's a very artsy, long, slow kind of movie, but it's had a very powerful effect on me, and uh, it's a story about a family in the 50s uh, in the Midwest, it's a couple, and they have three boys, and uh, it's largely about the oldest boy, and how the difference between his parents kind of shaped him as he was growing up, and um, the beginning of the story, there's this, uh, this kind of voiceover, with these very beautiful images of children kind of playing, and uh, it's the mother who's, who's narrating the kind of intro to the movie, and this is what she says, The nuns taught us there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, but others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, see to its own way. Nature finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it, and love is smiling through all things. And it's uh, it's very beautiful. She says it way better than I do. Uh, It's very moving as she says it. But um, and the story is really about these two ways: uh, the way of nature and the way of grace. And the the father basically represents the way of nature, and you know he's training his children about how you got to be competitive in life, and you got to you got to you know, get a high position in your job and you have to be a strong man. And the mother is, you know, has this sense of wonder and she's playing with the children. There's this, this really uh, beautiful part where she's kind of chasing after a butterfly and the butterfly kind of lands on her and she's very, uh, she has this sense of wonder at the world. And it paints these two pictures of a, a competitive life and a life of wonder a sense of wonder at the world and a sense of wonder at God's grace and that grace is everywhere. God has sprinkled grace everywhere and a heart that's been touched and captured by grace. And so what's the difference? What's the difference? What makes the difference between these two ways of life? Well, uh, it's very interesting with this passage. um, Bible scholars have had trouble with this because in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, 
the Apostle Paul's writing a letter to the church, and he's talking about these two ways to live. He calls them, you know, living according to the Spirit or living according to the flesh or under the law or according to grace, these two ways to live. And he says that this passage that we just read about these two sons of Abraham, there's uh, Isaac and Ishmael, these two sons, they rep- it's basically like a lived-out parable. And there's this parable that has been lived out, and the first son, Isaac, represents promise. He, you know, he's the son of promise. He's the son of grace. He was the gift to his, to his, that his parents didn't earn. And that um, Ishmael is the son of the slave woman, the son that's born according to the flesh. And so that these two uh, boys kind of represent these two ways of life. It's like a parable. And what you find is very interesting is that throughout this passage, there's, I don't know if you caught that when I was reading, this talk about laughter. There's laughing going on. Actually, Isaac's name, uh, uh, Sahak, uh, means laughter. He laughs. That's what Isaac's name means. And actually, if you remember, if you, if you were here a few weeks ago in, in uh, Genesis 18, when uh, Sarah first hears about these two angels come and the Lord comes and they promise, they say, you know, uh, she's 90 years old, you're going to have a son. And, uh, and she's listening in the other tent and she starts laughing. And basically her laughter, I don't know if you remember this, but her laughter is basically a, a cover to the hopelessness that's in her life. There's a kind of laughter that we have that's very cynical. And we just laugh at everything because it's kind of a shield that we don't want to let hope into our life. And what happens in this passage is you see in, uh, in uh, verse 5, it says this, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. I love it. A great little line. God has made laughter for me. And something is transformed in Sarah from this kind of cynical laughter to now her life has been touched by grace. God has actually given her the promise. The promise has come true. And she's laughing, not a mocking, cynical kind of laugh, but a playful sense of wonder kind of laugh. And they name their child Isaac. He laughs is his name. But at the same time, as her laughter is being transformed, the story goes on, and uh, as Isaac gets older, he's about three years old, and he's weaned, and they have a, a party. It's kind of a party that they would have. It kind of means that he's survived infanthood. And, you know, the par- everyone's hanging out at this party. It's Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. And then uh, Hagar's there. Hagar's uh, Abraham's girlfriend from Genesis 16, right? And she's there with the son. And, you know, if you're a wife and, and you're, you're, it's your son's birthday and your husband's girlfriend's there with her son, you know, this isn't, this isn't a good situation, right? It's not a happy occasion, right? And what it says is that the older son, Ishmael, is, he's probably about 14, 15 He's laughing at the little boy. It says, that's what it says there in, in, uh, in uh, uh, verse 9. But Sarah saw this, uh, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. And there's laughing again. What's going on? Well, it's, that form of the word laughing is a little different. It's this hostile laughing. It's a scorning, a mocking. He might even be beating this kid up and making fun of him or bullying him. So, you know, if you're, your mom, your, your husband's girlfriend's there with her son, and the, that son is beating up on your promised son who you've been waiting for, you're 90 years old, he's finally come, you know, how, are you going to be very happy about that, right? <laughs> no. She says, get, her, get him out of here. <laughs> I want them both out of here, Abraham. And, uh, and here's this other kind of laughing. And it turns out that Ishmael uh, represents a different kind of laughing that's this kind of uh, competitive laughing, a superiority laughing. I'm going to beat up on you. I'm going to bully on you kind of laughing. 
And I think this is very powerful because laughter is something that's very uh, deep at the center of what we hope for for our life, right? I mean, isn't that, when you imagine what you hope for for your life, don't you picture yourself laughing? I mean, laughing means security. Laughing means comfort. Laughing means relationship. Laughing means joy. And yet there's two different ways that you can come to laughter. And so what I want to talk about this morning are what are these two different ways that you can arrive at being a laughing person. One is the way of, of the flesh, and one is the way of grace. Okay? And so we're going to look at those two and contrast the two. So the first is uh, the way of the flesh. What does it mean to live according to the flesh? Now, at the heart of that, that phrase, living according to the flesh, is the idea that I have certain rights. I have rights to certain things. You know, um, I do certain things, or I am a certain way, and people owe me things because I have a right to them. And so, um, uh, also, um, uh, you know, there are certain things that I do with my life, I earn certain things, and so people are indebted to me. They owe me. That's how, how the kind of idea of living according to the flesh is. I'm living a way where I'm going to put people and God in debt to me because of the things I'm doing, right? And uh, you can see that in this passage where, um, on the one hand, um, you know, in Abraham's culture, uh, the, the law of primogenitor was in effect, which the oldest son would be the heir uh, to the father. So Ishmael is the oldest son, and he's supposed to be the heir. And he says, you know, I have rights. Uh, and, and uh, you know, this has been 14 years since Ishmael's been born. And so the girlfriend, who's been living in the house with them, her status has been slowly moving from slave woman up to second wife. And so now she's, in compet- she's kind of in competition. And so now the slave woman and, uh, and her son, they're beginning to assert their rights. Say, so we have some certain, we have rights in here, things that are owed to us. And actually, if you look at Ishmael's life, if you know the story of Genesis, how did Ishmael come about? It was actually Sarah's idea. Sarah uh, didn't believe the promises of God, that God was going to provide a son for them. So she said, listen, uh, Abraham, I got this slave girl. Why don't you two go into the tent? We'll make a baby, and then that, that could be the baby that God had promised us, is you can make a baby with them, right? She's relying on her own strength, her own power, to, to uh, gain the blessing of God. And, now what, and, and that's really at the heart of living according to the flesh, is I'm going to do certain things so that I can earn God's blessing and I can attain God's blessing uh, based on my own strength. And what it does is it gives us a sense of entitlement. God owes me things. You know, um, I, 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 where I've experienced this most is in the middle of the night um, in my family. I, you know, I have lots of children waking up in the middle of the night all the time. And uh, I'm about 4% Christian, about one in the morning, you know, um, the way I, uh, the way I uh, communicate with my wife. And uh, that's what you would think. Um, and, uh, you know, what happens, it's amazing how, even though I'm half asleep, how exacting I can be at keeping records of the things that I've done throughout the night. You, you think I'm half asleep, but I'm keeping records. I've gotten up two times to get that baby. And I'm collecting times that I've gone to get the baby and I'm adding them up. I'm keeping the score sheet. But she thinks I'm asleep. I'm keeping a very rigorous score sheet in my head of how much she owes me. And, and so when that baby sleeps, I'm very quick. You owe me getting that. I've earned it, right? You see what, you see what rights um, doing certain things and putting people in debt does? That's how the flesh works. Is I want to do certain things. I want to put people and I want to put God in debt to me. I'm going to do good things so that God is indebted to me. And, I'm, um, and what the Bible says over and over 
is that God will not have a relationship with us according to the flesh. He will not let us do good things or earn his blessings and then have a sense of entitlement and say, God, you owe me. You owe me an inheritance. Um, you're indebted to me. He doesn't want to, that's not the terms that he's going to work on, uh, work with us. And I'll tell you why this is interesting is because for most of us, when I use that phrase, you, know, you can live according to the flesh. Most of us, we picture, you know, kind of someone living a wild life. You know, they're getting drunk and they're sleeping around and, you know, orgies or something like that. And they're, you know, indulging the pleasures of the flesh, right? And there's a sense of that, you know, when Paul in Galatians uh, talks about um, the, the works of the flesh, this is what he says. Uh, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. You know, it's very much, you get the sense this is the pagan world out there. Uh, the people who live according to the flesh are these um, irreligious people out there who don't go to church. They don't, uh, they don't mind God's rules. And yet, throughout the Bible, it turns out that you can actually be uh, a very religious person and live according to the flesh as well. And uh, if you read that list, you know, Paul starts off, and the religious people, when they're hearing about sexual immorality and impurity of sensuality, they're saying, yeah, get it, take it to those uh, pagans. You know, know, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Take it to them. But then the list changes, right? And this this is what the list starts sounding like. Enmity, strife, jealousy. Now listen, I, I want you to listen. As I say this list, I want you to picture not a worldly party, partying kind of person. I want you to uh, picture a very dogmatic religious person and see how many of these things describe people who are very religious and very meticulous about obeying God's rules and making sure that they have done everything God asked them to do. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy. Many of these things, you know, religious people are some of the most divisive people there are. That's what's being described here. It's people that are, are being divisive towards other people. And what it turns out is that you can actually live according to the flesh either as an irreligious person or as a religious person and say that I'm going to do certain things and God is going to be indebted to me. And... Um, Both people, both an irreligious person and a religious person, are both trying to save themselves. They're both trying to do things to merit uh, God's blessing. I'm going to do certain things so that I'm going to have a a blessed life. And uh, what this passage shows is that Abraham, uh, you know, Sarah says, all right, the slave woman and the boy who represent the way of the flesh, kick them out. And it's surprising, and God says, okay, Abraham, do it. Kick them out. Now, it's not because God doesn't love them, because he goes after them and he makes promises to Ishmael, and he goes and seeks them in the desert, and he finds them a well, and he promises Ishmael, I'm going uh, to make you into a great nation. But what he's showing them is that I'm not going to give you an inheritance based on your rights or the things that I owe you. I'm only going to give it to you by grace, as a gift. Our relationship is going to be a relationship of grace and gifts. And uh, what happens is he sends them out into the desert to experience that. And, you know, this, this movie that I was describing to you, uh, the, the Tree of Life, where you have this family. Uh, the father in this family is a very interesting man. Uh, he's, throughout the movie, he's, he's 
training his kids about how to make money, how to, how to make it up in the, make, uh, make it in the world. And he's kind of an inventor and he, he really has these dreams that he's going to get these patents. So he goes on this, uh, this life, uh, or this, uh, world traveling to China, to all these different countries to try to get people to, you know, buy his patent. And he comes back to his family and he's just a miserable failure. And he's been, uh, harsh with his kids demanding of his kids, trying to tell them you need to make something in your life. And he comes home, and he's a failure. And he's standing before his kids, and he has this kind of transformation in the movie. And this is what he says. I wanted to be loved because I was great, a big man, but I'm nothing. Look, the glory around us, trees, birds, I dishonored it all and didn't notice the glory I'm a foolish man. And it's very interesting. Right after that, he actually says, I never missed a day of work. I, I tithed every Sunday. And what he was thinking was, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to earn a blessed life. I'm going to work hard to earn a blessed life. And at the end of it, what he finds out is he says, I'm a fool. What am I doing? And in the movie, it's very powerful. That's where his life changes. Is right there when he says, I'm a fool. He goes to his son, and he begins to talk to his son, and he brings him to him, and he says, you know, all I, all I wanted for you was to be a strong man. I wanted you to be your own boss, and I've just been harsh to you the whole time. And it turns out you're the grace in my life. And you're all I want. You know, and the son, and he comes, and he hugs the son, and the, the son's in tears. It's very, very moving. And uh, what he's realizing is that the most important things in our life cannot be earned. We cannot get them on our own strength. We cannot get them by our own power. We can't get them by our, our intuition, um, by our skills. They must be given to us. The most important things in our life are a gift. And so we can live according to the flesh, which says, I'm going to be the boss of my life. I'm going to be the God of my own life. And I'm going to attain comfort and security for myself. And you can do that either as an irreligious person or as a religious person. Or you can live by the way of grace. And that's the other, th- other way that we see in this passage is the way of grace. Now, um, the big difference between uh, f- the flesh and grace is that grace doesn't depend on my own strength. Grace says I'm going to depend on the promises of God. My whole life is dependent on uh, trusting in the promises that God has given to me and depending on them. And you can see that in this passage where it opens. It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And there's this insistence on the Lord doing everything just as he had planned. It said, uh, as he had promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a, so, uh, a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And so the heart of the Christian life, the way of grace, is trusting in the promises of God. And you know what it is, you know, it's amazing about this passage is here, what is the promises of God to Sarah? It's a son, it's a person. Of course, you know, here we're starting Advent as we're preparing our hearts that what is the great gift that God's given to us? The great free gift that we didn't earn, that we, uh, we didn't ask God for. It is not, uh, it's not riches, it's not wealth, it's a person. God has given us a promised son, Jesus. And one of the things that we'll see is that the Christian life is all about God saying, I'm going to give you things that you didn't earn and that you didn't deserve, and yet I want you to have them. I mean, you just think of our salvation. What do we have? Our sins are forgiven. Um, God puts us in a church, and he says, you're one of my children. You didn't earn that. You didn't deserve it. Um, God pours his spirit. If you just ask him for your spirit, he promises that he will fill you with his Holy Spirit. 
And he promises that the work that he has begun in you, he will see to completion. He promises you that he has planned good works for you to do. They're already planned out for you. You just have to walk in them. You don't have to create them. You don't have to make good works. He's already planned them for you. He's promised that he's going to make you more like Jesus. He's promised that what he did for Jesus when he raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to do for you. And that you will live in his presence forever and ever. You don't earn it. You didn't earn any of that. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you're good. It's a free gift. And that is a radical change in our hearts when we understand that my whole life is about God giving me free gifts. And I don't have to work for them. I need to receive them. I need to embrace them. I need to have a tender heart and a soft heart to it to receive the grace that God is offering me. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, I think that when... Uh, Grace has touched our life. Our life gets marked by two things. Um, you know, when we live according to the flesh, if you, if you earn everything, if you're making something yourself, I'm going to be a strong man. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to receive any gifts. I'm going to earn my way. It only creates in you a sense of superiority. You look down on the other people around, who are around you, right? But if everything that uh, God has given to me is a gift, what it does is it creates in me a sense of humility and a sense of joy. And so first, humility. Um, you know, here's Sarah, who's now receiving the promise that God has given to her. As you read through the story of Genesis, Sarah didn't deserve this. I mean, Sarah is not this stalwart of faith. I mean, it was her idea to say, you know, Abraham, God's not, you know, coming through on the promise for a son. Why don't you sleep with the, you know, the slave girl? Why don't you do that? It's Sarah's idea. Uh, in, in Genesis 18... Probably Jesus himself came to her. It says that the Lord came. Uh, this was maybe Jesus coming uh, in, in the Old Testament, pre-incarnate Jesus coming and talking to her and saying, I promise you're going to have a son in a year. She's laughing in his face. She's faithless, and yet God comes through in her promise. She didn't deserve it. And, um, and when you know that every blessing that God gives you is a free gift, you didn't deserve it, it creates in you a sense of, of superiority. And, uh, or, sorry, a, a, a sense of humility. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's not enough for us to say, you know, I'm, I didn't deserve anything. I'm such a bad person. And God, uh, I, I don't deserve anything from God. I've never done anything good. You know, just beat yourself up. That's not enough. You also have the courage to embrace, embrace and receive God's grace. And when you do that, uh, that creates also a sense of joy in us. And, um, you know, again, I love that that's that phrase that, uh, that Sarah says in verse 6, that God has made laughter for me. God is the maker of laughter. And um, I feel like that's such a good uh, description of the Christian life, is that God is making laughter for me. I'm not making it for myself. You know, my, uh, my daughter, Ada, is she just turned three a couple days ago, and... Um, you know, when I, often when I'm talking to her, she's very motherly towards me. I, I, even though she's two and I'm her dad, she, she's always kind of grabbing my face and talking to me. And she'll, she'll put her, my head, she'll grab my head and put it against her chest. And she'll, this, this thing she's been saying to me lately where she grabs my face and she says, I make you happy. I make you happy. I'm just like, she's like this little prophet who's talking to me. And she's saying, uh, God gave me to you to make you happy. He wants you to be happy. He wants you. To, you didn't earn me. You didn't deserve me. I'm a free gift to you. And everywhere God has sprinkled us, all the good things in our life are tokens of free grace. God wants joy for us. 
And the way that we create, start to have that deep sense of joy is when we know we can't earn anything from God. He wants to give to us freely. And this, this, you know, this doesn't seem like a very practical sermon, but this is way down at the very depths of our hearts. What kind of person am I? Am I a person who earns my, God's blessing, or am I a person who receives it by free grace? This, these are the two ways to live. And uh, I'll tell you, the way of grace, there's life. Choose life. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your promises to us are grace. That your promises don't change uh, with our hearts, with our unfaithfulness. Give us uh, the faith to receive it and to embrace it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.